Husband, you're on equal footing. Good afternoon. Good evening. We're tackling another difficult subject tonight. I am not in studio traveling, going to my belated 25th anniversary college reunion. That's fun up in the Boston area. Hope the sound quality is okay. Our wonderful sound engineer, Dimitri, our wonderful producer, Leah, are there for you if you want to participate and send a text, comment, or question, or call in. During the course of the show, we'll do our best. Always a little bit more difficult when we're out of studio. Tonight's topic is about the black person and the Jewish person in America. Black and Jew. Shared social struggles in the past. Tensions as well. A lot of attention paid to those difficult aspects of the relationship in recent years. But were there always tensions? Is this really more of a relationship of kinship rather than, I wouldn't say adversaries, but a tense relationship? There's a strong argument to be made that there is a very special bond in the American zeitgeist between the black and the Jewish community. But we're going to challenge that thesis. That's kind of the received wisdom. And we're going to challenge that thesis to some degree. I'm joined, really honored to be joined by two veterans of social justice movements, of the civil rights movement, as apropos to the topic tonight. One person from the black community, one person, person from the Jewish community. But I suspect that our two guests tonight, having known each other for many years and worked together, we'll get into that in a minute, don't really see each other for their ethnic or racial identity, but rather as brothers, sometimes brothers in arms, brothers in cause. And so it's really an honor to have both of them on tonight. I want to start by introducing Reverend Paul Chandler. Reverend Chandler is the assistant director of the Jackie Robinson Center for Physical Culture. He's been a community and social activist for decades, a veteran of the civil rights movement going back to the 1960s. He's co-director of Project Cure. We'll get into what that is, C-U-R-E, Project Cure. Reverend Chandler is co-singer as well. Yes, you heard that right, singer in the racial harmony music group Dr. Laz and the Cure. He's an ordained minister. He's the recipient of numerous, many more than I would have time to really mention, numerous civic and national awards in community relations and racial harmony. Reverend Chandler and his wife, Gloria, have several children. They live in far Rockaway, New York. Reverend Chandler, welcome to Equal Footing for the first, and I hope not the last time. All right, and we're having a little bit of audio difficulty. I know I, I heard you uh, acknowledge the greeting. Hopefully that'll, that'll improve. Welcome to the program. I want to introduce your colleague on the program and to some extent in your professional life ende- endeavors, Dr. David Lazarson. Dr. Lazarson has given me permission in our pregame to call him Dr. Laz, as so many people do, so I'm going to do that. Dr. Laz is an educator in the field of special needs for more than 40 years. He's won two Teacher of the Year awards 
He was one of the five teachers chosen in all of North America to be inducted into the National Teachers Hall of Fame in 2008. I find that just absolutely beautiful. Dr. Laz is featured in the newly released book, American Teacher, Heroes in the Classroom. He's also an author. He's written five books, including one that many of you may have heard of, the popular bestseller, Skullcaps and Switchblades, which chronicles his work in an inner city school in Buffalo, New York, amongst, again, many other publications. Dr. Laz is a world-known conflict resolution specialist. We heard about the Racial Harmony Singing Group uh, Cure that both of our guests on tonight are members of. It's, a, it's been instrumental in helping to bridge the gap between the black and Jewish community, particularly after race riots tore through the Brooklyn community of Crown Heights in the 1990s. Dr. Laz's third book, Sharing Turf, Race Relations After the Crown Heights Riots, was actually made into a feature movie by Showtime. The movie, called Crown Heights, featured three of his original songs and stars the TV personality Howie Mandel as Dr. Laz. That is a really cool aspect of your bio, uh, Dr. Laz. Dr. Laz is, um, uh, has opened with the musical group that both he and Reverend Chandler are members of for Al Green, the, the Winans, the Manhattans, and performed for the U.S. Congress and during halftime during a Miami Heat game. Dr. Laz, welcome to Equal Footing again for the first, and I hope not the last time. Thank you very much for having me and uh, my uh, colleague, uh, Reverend Chandler, as well. Pleasure to be here. Gentlemen, I'm going to ask you guys, since uh, we're all three out of studio, to talk up, a, speak up a little bit more than usual on the line, and uh, hopefully our, our, our audience can hear us well. Now, if you'll forgive me, I am going to give a super quick and probably wrong primer on Jewish-African-American relations, Jewish-black relations in the United States, at least, let's say, um, you know, in, in, in the 20th century, beginning of the 21st century. And this is just my impression, gentlemen, and I want you to um, correct me where you think I'm wrong and, and, uh, and help our, our audience understand both the context of the past and the um, reality of the present. So in the early 20th century, you had tensions around there being um, and the Jewish community was kind of in, amalgamated with the white community. There were Jewish landlords that were sometimes some of the only landlords that would work with the black community and uh, shop owners and so forth, but there were also tensions that came from that. Where you started to see some of the real um, initial alliances were um, where you started to see self-conscious identification in the black community with the Jewish community around the idea of emerging from slavery, the concept of exodus in the, in the very more contemporary history in the United States, post-slavery uh, of the black community in the United States, and in the Jewish tradition, the exodus out of Egypt. And you even had uh, black spirituals and slave songs like Go Down Moses, etc., that kind of reflected um, those ties. And then you had a lot of um, alliance around initial movement. It was, I was fascinated to learn, gentlemen, that in the um, between 1914 and 1975, every chair of the NAACP was Jewish. You had a lot of black and Jewish collaboration in the initial foundation of a number of different uh, organizations that were advocating for civil rights in both in both uh, uh, groups, um, and then. 
Starting in, in during World War II and then into the 50s and 60s, many people consider this kind of a golden age of relations in the United States between the Jewish and black communities. You have some of the first recognition of the Holocaust going on and the persecution of Jews under uh, the, the, um, the Third Reich is from the black community. Uh, you have uh, recognition um, uh, on the other side from and support from the American Jewish community and the American Jewish Committee, rather, and the American Jewish Congress around the Supreme Court case of Brown versus Board of Education to integrate schools. Um, and you increasingly have an alliance in the organization that goes into the 1960s and Rabbi Abraham um, Heschel marches hand-in-hand uh, uh, hand with Martin Luther King in, uh, in, in civil rights marches. You have the um, shocking uh, murder of black activist James Cheney and the Jewish activist Michael Schwerner and Andrew Goodman in 1964, where there's a really kind of a, a bonding, a tragic bonding in the, in the uh, letting of blood. Um, and then in the Civil Rights Act of 1964, it's almost like a victory march in a certain sense around, between the communities where President Johnson signs into law uh, banning and discrimination based on race, color, religion, or national origin. And I'm going to stop there because there, after, you start to see some degradation, at least in the generally accepted narrative, in the strong ties that the kinship against persecution bilaterally that existed between the groups. And um, first of all, I want to ask you guys, and let's start with you, Dr. Laz. It was my Cliff Notes version getting us to the 1960s. Does that, like, feel generally right to you? Uh, and and I want to ask you both that question for you to poke holes in, in my super stylized quick narrative to get us to what starts to happen in the late 1960s. Okay. Um, are you able to, <clears throat> excuse me, to hear me okay? I hear you well. Okay, beautiful. Um, yeah, I would say um, you, you did a, a splendid job with that. Uh, I'm glad you took care of that as opposed to me. Um, I'm not that good with, uh, you know, the, the sort of the historical sequence. Um, but uh, I'm also a, a product of the 60s and... Um, you know, did participated in marches and uh, marched in Washington, and so I think in that sense, uh, Paul and I are, are kindred spirits. Uh, we, we didn't meet until actually uh, after the Crown Heights riots in, in 1991, um, but I really felt like uh, I was meeting my, uh, you know, my long-lost soul brother. We had so much in common, and it seemed like our you know, hearts and minds from what we have been through and, and what we have seen in our lives, uh, I think, you know, really helped to, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was good old divine providence strikes and that, that we met and that, you know, we were able to take, I think, something that seemingly uh, very negative uh, stuff that was going on and, and really try to uh, turn it around. Um, you know, I will say that we've, uh, the black and Jewish communities have really, we, we really have so much in common that it is always, I've always been bewildered and, and, uh, and disappointed when, you know, when, when the two groups seem not as united as we could be and as we should be. Um, we can accomplish so much more, uh, when we're working together. You know, I've, I've, also always felt there's been this sort of divide and conquer uh, approach when it comes to minorities uh, 
um, in this country, and then therefore both minorities are sort of left on the fringes, you know, as we uh, as we're kind of pitted against each other. Um, but uh, you know, again, I think that we have uh, been able to come together and. Um, you know, it's not just words, but I feel like we really have discovered that we, that we have so much more that unites us than divides us. Now, Reverend Chandler, you heard my like my super quick uh, exegesis there on on black Jewish relation, relations, at least up until the 1960s, starting at the beginning of the 20th century. I I acknowledge because I already got one text from a listener who already knows our number. I haven't even given it out yet that I was glossing over the landlord uh, issues, and and it is true that um, that W. E. B. Du Bois. James Baldwin, the great author, even Martin Luther King, um, often made reference to uh, the tensions in urban centers like Chicago and New York and even in the South between um, black tenants and Jewish landlords. And there is, I acknowledge that that tension existed, but to, most historians believe that there was a huge, uh, much more cooperation between these groups from a social activism uh, perspective starting in the early part of the 20th century through to the mid-60s. Um, Reverend Chandler, does that does that resonate with you? Do you agree? And and what what in your view happens in the late '60s where tensions really start to come more to the fore between the communities? I, I well well first thank you for having me and having um, Laz on your show. But I think that I I'm, I I'm not aware of the tension that you're speaking about that happened in the '60s. There was more unity around in the 60s. Uh, we worked to very closely together. The Jewish community worked very close, even with uh, Dr. King. And, and I would say in the 60s, in Crown Heights, we, we, we weren't having uh, what problems like in terms of the, uh, you know, you're Jewish and I'm black. One is, you know, one is religion, et cetera. Anyway, you know the game that they try to play with us and separate us as a group of people within the same community that have very strong roots historically. So I think there's been a lot of uh, miseducation uh, the easiest way to uh, to uh, define it, and what Laz and myself and um, other people in our community, um, we started working on ways that we could unite um, on a higher level, even though we reunited because we lived in the same communities and in. And, uh, and particularly in Crown Heights and Williamsburg, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, I mean, when I was young, where I lived, the, the big buildings on the block, what we call the apartment buildings, we used to call them the Jewish, the Jewish buildings because the majority of the people that lived in those buildings, they were Jewish people. Uh, so we went to school at the same the same schools. We all back in the days, I'm saying in the fifties, we would have religious instruction on Wednesday. 
the Catholic kids went to their churches, the Protestant and Christian children went to theirs, and the Jewish children went to theirs. And you can look this up. Um, we were let go on Wednesday afternoon for religious instruction. So there was a commonality in there just in terms of the respect that the, the, the Board of Ed or the mayor, et cetera, back in those days, saw the, 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 the importance of religious instruction, that we would actually all be let, uh, let out of school <laughs> and a half a day uh, back in those days. I don't know when they destroyed that or when they stopped it, but it happened. I can't tell you the exact time. But yeah, we're going to get into that a little bit in the, pardon the interruption, Reverend Chandler. We'll get into that little bit of okay. the rupture there uh, in the okay. next segment. We're going to take our first break. We're here with Reverend Paul Chandler and Dr. David Lazarson. We're talking about both the history of and in the next segment, getting more to the current day, of relations between the black and Jewish communities, uh, areas for repair, where there's been fraying in that relationship uh, that in past, in the past, going back decades, was a very clear social justice alliance. To participate in this very discussion, clear. give your point of view, uh, call in. You can do so live by calling 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. You can mention your name, but you don't have to. Uh, you can do so anonymously. If you call in, please be patient uh, for Dimitri to pick you up there in the, in the, in the studio. And you can text a comment or question if that's easier. Don't call this number, please. Just text a comment or question by WhatsApp or SMS to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062 to participate in this discussion on Black and Jew in America. We'll be right back. Equal Footing is brought to you in part, I got a little surprise there, the, the music ended abruptly, uh, by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital has been a great sponsor of the program for some time. It is for a niche part of our audience, but if you are a watch collector or a watch dealer, you're in the timepiece business or you love timepieces, you have value on your hands that you can unlock. You can get cash value from your watch collection or your watch inventory by using Mechanical Art Capital's buyback contracts. They're very easy. It's like two pages. takes you like 10 minutes to fill out, and you can get your money the next day. So download, if you're a watch dealer or a watch collector, the Mechanical Art Capital app. Those are three words separated. You can do so on your iPhone or your Android device. Mechanical Art Capital on your app store. You can also go to mechanicalartcapital.com or you can call if you prefer to do it on the phone by, by calling 833-209-0972 for more information on getting cash from your collection. You don't have to sell your watches, you're just basically getting financing against them. Very attractive terms, very easy to do. Again, the number is 833 209 
888-888-0972, and the company online or in your app store is Mechanical Art Capital. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on checked. And I've been taught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on checked. And I've been broken. All right, we are back on equal footing. At, uh, soon we're going to play a little bit of a, a clip that hopefully we've got uh, geared up. I think if you have been educated in the United States, you've heard this voice um, and before, and you've heard this, these particular words before, but they're always impactful. Let's see, Dimitri, if we can uh, run the audio clip. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creeds. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. My poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed in all flesh. All right, that's that's obviously the iconic I Have a Dream speech, a clip from that by the great Martin Luther King Jr. on August 28, 1963, in the March on Washington. It's, I, I, it's impossible for me to hear that, as I, I probably heard it a hundred times in my life, uh, and not get... Um, not get chills, even get uh, you know tears come to my eyes. The, the, um, the, the that was one of the most impactful moments in American history. Now let, let's give a little context in terms of this show. Why we wanted to play that clip in 1963, when Martin Luther King Jr. spoke those words. Um, the there are several uh, statistical sources to show public opinion at the time among in white America. And that, at that time, these, these polls would not include Jews. And both of my guests, I'm sure, know that the time you still had signs up um, in parts of the South that said no Negroes and Jews allowed. Uh, and so white America uh, only supported Martin Luther King's movement in the vicinity of 20 to 30 percent. That number went up over time, but it was a small minority of white America. Historians believe that support in the Jewish community at the time in the United States for Martin Luther King's movement was in excess of 70%. That's an extraordinary difference. There were several rabbinical organizations at the time that were some of the first religious organizations outside of black churches that supported in almost unanimity the uh, Martin Luther King's version of the civil rights struggle. Now, I want to 
introduce a little bit of a kind of troubling where the waters start to get troubled. And this is where Reverend Chandler and Dr. Laz, uh, it seemed like, like both of you um, probably have a more rose-colored view of this. And that's, that's wonderful. You continue to work to this day and through this whole period. But there is significant social and, and political history that shows that in the 19, in the late 60s, a couple things happen that are kind of canaries in the coal mine around problems later that, you know, perhaps reach their apogee in the Crown Heights riots that both of you are very familiar with. It started in the late 1960s. One is you have um, a the movement, the, the Black Power movement that sits alongside Martin Luther King's nonviolent movement uh, begins through the student student nonviolent coordinated committee and others, uh, Malcolm X and so forth, um, begin to be more exclusionary uh, around Jewish colleagues in the movement, and frankly are more criticized by the Jewish community, seen as more threatening. This coincides with also some. Um, there are race riots in a number of northern cities where there are a number of Jewish businesses that are that are destroyed in that period. And then some historians believe the most important thing, and I would argue, and I want to ask you today going past the Crown Heights riots and to, and to, the, to, to the moment, the zeitgeist, the Black Power Movement, excuse me, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter, et cetera, this is what may be the most important thing, is that you start to have victories uh, by the state of Israel over its, its, um, its neighboring Arab enemies um, in the late 1960s and early 1970s, and you begin to have an identification, whether right or wrong, between black social activists and the Palestinian community, where maybe not proactively from the Palestinian side, but you have black social activists see in the Palestinian situation something that feels reminiscent of the oppression that the black community is living in the United States. So I'm positing that, and I promise to talk less the rest of the program. I'm positing that there you have the beginnings of a crack in the edifice and and that that again has its uh, perhaps hopefully it's 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 Donuman its worst point in the Crown Heights riots but we're living with even today. Uh, I want to go to Ichi on this and 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 feel free to shoot me down and or if you feel that there's some truth there um, address it and how do how do where do we go from there? So, Dr. Laz, what do you think about that about that thesis? Dr. Laz, are you there? Yeah, sorry about that. I had to unmute. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's, you know, an element of validity to to that um, because also, you know, we have to remember that these are, um, we're talking minority groups who feel uh, disenfranchised and feel, you know, on the fringes. And um, so you also had, while this was going on, you also had, you know, the rise of the JDL movement, uh, you know, many in the Jewish community were, uh, you know, saw that as, uh, uh, you know, going overboard and, and, you know, like not exactly quote unquote, you know, not, it wasn't the, the Jewish way, you know, to do things, but it's this idea of, you know, minorities, I think were, uh, embracing this notion of, well, if we don't get protection from, uh, you know, from without, then we're going to get, you know, we're going to make sure we have protection from within. And so I think, you know, that's a, uh, 
that's a valid point, and I think it, um, you know, was probably uh, something that was necessary for the times. Um, I, I have always, uh, you know, again, not meaning to whitewash that and in, in what uh, what differences may have arisen and, and, and you know, perhaps are, are relevant to this, you know, day. Um, I think there was an element of the Jewish community, by and large, identifying with the, the dominant white culture, which time and time again we have been um, shown that oh, we're not really, quote-unquote, white enough. We certainly weren't white enough. You know, we would have thought we learned that lesson in, uh, uh, in, you know, in, in Nazi Germany. We certainly weren't uh, white enough for that, uh, that movement. So, um, you know, I, I think that, that this notion of, uh, of militancy was really is based a lot on the idea of, well, we just simply have to protect ourselves. And so I feel like, you know, there's certainly elements of that that exist to this day. The, uh, the problem is, in, in my opinion, is that, uh, that where we should, where we can and should unite, we, we need more efforts. Uh, in in those areas, and and that's something I think that Paul and I have seen play out. You know, the media portrayed uh, the black and Jewish communities in Crown Heights as being enemies, and I remember there was even a, a headline on the front page of one of the papers. You know, as the riots were going, were sort of still going on, and it had a white handshake with a Jewish star and a black. You know, fists, both both in fists, going against each other. You know, not not in fist pump style, but in you know, obviously in uh, you know, and an antagonistic way. And the headline simply wasn't bold black letters, enemies with a question mark. Uh, so, to a certain degree, we've you know, we've bought into that, and we've uh, we're sort of victimized by this, uh, what I referred to before as this, this sort of culture at large that very often uh, puts one against the other when it comes to minorities. Uh, and, and because I think that the only way really for us to make uh, positive social change and growth is by coming together and, and working together. And, and so we in terms of what what we saw in Crown Heights play out, and I think it's very valid for what's going on in the world today. Um, we simply we had no agenda when I met with Paul and um, with also with Richard Green, a community activist who runs the Crown Heights Youth Collective, um, and also African American. We we had no agenda other than to bring our youth together, and. It it, uh, it was a real eye-opening experience because I think the thing that came across from our very first meeting was despite the fact of living in the same community physically, we were we knew so very little about each other. And so I think when that is part of the dynamic, then it's very easy to be afraid of the other side, to be ignorant of the other side and to demonize the other side. Uh, so I'll, I'll stop there because you, yeah. you know I'd like to Paul stop. No, in the work, the work that you, Dr. Laz, and you, Reverend Paul Chandler, did uh, in the context of, of the Crown Heights riots and the aftermath is, is extraordinary, probably meriting its own its own show. Um, 
Reverend Chandler I was obliquely referring to. I didn't, I didn't say it explicitly, but I was kind of referring to black anti-Semitism that, that really starts through Louis Farrakhan and, and, and his ilk. You, you start to really see that more, at least um, prominently on the, on, the, on the public social activist stage in the mid-1960s. Do you think today that, that, that black anti-Semitism is an issue, and is it related, as I was kind of positing, to an identification with the Palestinian plight in Israel? Does it go back to landlord-tenant relations? What, or or am, I telling, am I talking about yesterday's news? It's not an issue now. Well, I, I think that the issue comes from a lot of uh, um, <laughs> misinformation. I think a lot of it comes from a lot of um, propaganda and stuff to keep us separated. Um, I think that uh, I was invited to a World Youth Festival that um, had to be in 19... I think it was 70, it was like maybe 71 or 72. And um, in going to that festival, it was a world youth festival. So that means there were, there were youth from all over the world. From, I mean, from Israel to Vietnam to um, West Africa to South Africa, et cetera. The amazing thing was, we had an opportunity to also, while we were there, to discuss uh, things like this. But we also had an opportunity to reflect on history, whereas uh, we were given the um, chance to go to uh, the concentration camps and to go into that I don't even have the right word to really describe it, but it was like going into hell. Now, I could relate to it when I also took my children and my students down south to the Underground Railroad and other things that they could see as it related to how black people were treated uh, during a period of time. And I say this is that there's been a lot of miseducation and it, 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 it has destroyed what God has put into all of us. Is one is that we were made in God's image. And if his image is what I believe it is. It's to love thy neighbor as you love thyself. Then I think that a number of the things that we've seen that happen, it was really promoted by people that only cared about themselves, and it was very profitable. Slavery was very profitable. Uh, what Hitler did and Germany was very profitable to those who were in, invested in making, making, making more money. So it, it boils down to one is 
knowing who you are. Now, that's one of the greatest parts of our union coming together, Laz and I. It was a lesson for he and I also, as well as the children, because they got to know each other. They got to understand that, hey, we had more in common than we had not, because we were able to see. And it wasn't about we all played basketball, we played football, or we did double judge, or we played skelly. But we all have a right hand and a left hand. We all have an eye, two eyes. There's no one walking around here with one eye and one. So the point that I'm trying to make is that one God created us all. And I'm not trying to give a sermon here. But we have more in common than we actually have been taught historically. Why, Reverend Chandler? We're going to need to take another break, but that message of of, of commonality, I think, I think is well captured. The mic. I'm sorry. Sorry, say it again. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I'm okay. Sorry. I'm just going to. You brought to mind a a Martin Luther King quote, which I was able to pull up. He said, "My people were brought to America in chains." This was a talk that he gave to to a Jewish group. My people were brought to America in chains. Your people were driven here to escape the chains fashioned for them in Europe. Our unity is born of our common struggle for centuries, not only to rid ourselves of bondage, but to make oppression of any people by others an impossibility. We're going to take our next break. We're here with Dr. David Lazarson, with Reverend Paul Chandler. They are partners in social activism and in music around racial harmony. They work together on the Crown Heights riots aftermath and bringing youth together and understanding. The next segment, we're going to talk about the reality today. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. Footing with Dove Tusman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Back on Equal Footing, I'm Dove Tuzman. I'm joined by Reverend Paul Chandler and Dr. David Lazarson. We're talking about black and Jewish relations in America. We've gotten some good questions and comments uh, on uh, on text, which we're going to get to. Um, if we've got a caller on the line, which I'm, not, I'm out of studio, so it's a little bit difficult. Dimitri, if we have a caller on the line, you can put him or her through. No. 
Okay, they may have hung up. All right, so let's get to a couple of, of, of questions here because I do want to bring out the existing tensions, gentlemen, that exist in the communities because uh, we've got a number of que- uh, listeners' questions on this already. There was an Anti-Defamation League conference in New York. I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, but I read press about these protests um, that were occurring outside Black Lives Matters. Uh, groups were um, hand-in-hand with, um, with Palestinian demonstrators uh, protesting. This, this, is, this is something new between the groups, um, although, of course, the Crown Heights, riot, Crown Heights riots were about um, racial conflagration in this, in this sense. But here, it's something, I think, philosophical. And we've got a couple of uh, audience members who have asked specifically about this connection between the Black Lives Matter movement and the Palestinian cause. And Reverend Chandler, do what's that about? Uh, is this something that is, because we may be moshing together a whole group's you know, perspective, but do you, when you deal with black youth, do you feel that there is kind of a, a systemic identification with the Palestinian cause um, and, and, a, and a kind of um, aversion to uh, the, the the Zionist perspective or the or the state of Israel more broadly. I I don't think there's a systemic um, uh, Oedipus I mean uh, situation there. I I I think that again um, there are a lot of misinformation even in terms of our history as a people. I'm not talking about a, a religion. I'm talking about as a people. You know, um, lives of, you recall, um, when we took the the flight, um, uh, could you tell them about the flight that we took with all the children from the Hasidic community, and, well, from Crown Heights? Okay, and that was black and white, Jews and Christians, et cetera, et cetera. We took them on a flight. Laz? Uh, yeah, can you, uh, you, you able to hear me? Because I just didn't want to uh, unmute, you know, to yep. disturb We, we hear you, Dr. Laz. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. Oh, yeah, um, so what I uh, on the flight, why we did that flight, and why we felt that flight was so important. Right, right. Um, yeah, that was the uh, the anniversary. I think it was uh, maybe called Operation Solomon, the one where they yeah. rescued uh, the Ethiopian uh, Jewish community. Um, and so it was uh, on an LL flight, and we we brought in uh, youth from the Hasidic community and also you know from the Black community, the Caribbean American community, and we all uh, were treated to a, uh, a flight. Uh, that basically went around New York City, the tri-state area. It was the same pilot who uh, flew into Ethiopia to, on that rescue mission. Um, and, you know, it was again, it was an eye-opener um, because there everybody got to see um, there were Jews who were, you know, dark-skinned. And uh, a lot of 
people were not uh, aware of that. I would say even from uh, from both communities, other than perhaps you know a few converts uh, in the uh, in the Crown Heights community, um, but. It was an exciting, uh, exciting flight. Very uh, educational for everyone involved. Um, I know that that's the the flight that uh, Paul is referring to. Um, so, you know, I think it um, when you mention like some of the issues today, I think there there tends to be, you know, and there tends to be this this on. Uh, on college campuses, um, where they see, you know, they're, they're sort of rooting for the underdog, which is is a noble cause, but it's just misguided because, like Paul said, it's based on a lot of misinformation. Um, uh, I teach on uh, a couple different college campuses um, in the education field, and so there's been lots of discussions that I've been involved with, and. And people will come up to me and say, well, Israel, you know, the, the different tropes that they throw around about Israel, which are, are simply, uh, it's not just simplistic, but they're not even true. And, you know, one is Israel is an apartheid country. Um, and it's probably the exact opposite. It's probably the most inclusive um, country. Uh, and I would venture to say more inclusive than our own country of, of the good old USA. Uh, you know, you have... Uh, in the in the Israeli Knesset, you have Arabs, you have Muslims who are representing their communities, and you have Muslim and Arab judges, and you have uh, the Arab populations who you know work in all different sectors of Israel society. But yet, that is a very common negative stereotype that's thrown out there. Uh, that again, it's just it's just misinformation. Now, whether some of it is deliberate or not is a whole separate issue. But the the important thing is is that that has to be fought with knowledge, and that has to be fought with when those things come up. Then you know there needs to be our, our, our the voices for truth. And reason has to be heard. We can't let the squeaky wheels get the grease just because they're loud and, right. and you know, the protests might be loud and that might not be our derech and, you know, that might not be our way. Um, well, Dr. Laz, you, you mentioned that on this flight that there, that there were Hasidic kids and the reaction to uh, some of the black kids seeing Dark skinned Jews in 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 in, in Israel. Very interesting uh, visuals. You just talked about the Derek. Like, what's our way? I want to read a comment uh, from a listener named Mark uh, that uh, that that uh, deserves to be read word for word. Uh, Jewish religion argues for social justice. We sometimes call it tikkun olam. The reform movement is involved with all of that. The problem is, if one's adherence to Judaism informs social justice. One would expect the Orthodox community, those for whom traditional Judaism is most present in their everyday life, to be the lead in racial equality and brothership, brotherhood, I guess that should be, uh, with the black community. In fact, it's the opposite. The more religiously traditional, the less engaged Jews are in social justice. I thought that was the best phrased comment. We had a number of other, we have three other comments along these lines that I'm inappropriately talking about the community, uh, in, as a, as a whole here and that the, the more, uh, the more from, the more orthodox observant, um, end of the community, uh, is, which I know you're a member of to, to, uh, to some degree, Dr. Laz, I think that's correct, 
is not engaged in social justice and is not inclined to seek kinship in the um, in black social social activism. I want your reactions, Dr. Laz, to that from the Jewish perspective and and uh, Reverend Chandler, like your perspective on that as well. Okay. Um, yeah. All all I can say is that um, that I think is changing, and I think it's changing in very significant ways. Um, I, I'm, I think to a certain degree that that is that is correct, but. I've, what I've seen over the past uh, 30 plus years is that there's been uh, tremendous uh, growth and improvement in that. You have now uh, within, you know, just speaking again from the uh, Crown Heights community where I lived for 13 years, um, you know, visit quite a bit. There are, we started off, we were probably the only organization that um, worked together. The, that we were bringing together blacks and Jews from the community. And now you you have since then, there's uh, several women's groups that are doing that. Um, now you're talking, this is from the, you know, Hasidic community. And, uh, and there's other community outreach groups that are doing that. And, you know, you had, I think when the, the uh, the Black Lives Matter demonstrations were going on, kind of in, in the, the the height. You ha- you had there were several uh, Jewish organizations actually from Crown Heights that marched together in these BLM marches in uh, in Brooklyn and in New York City. Um, so I think you're getting a lot more of uh, there's a lot more going on than. You know, you can't paint this picture with these broad strokes of saying, you know, oh, we're doing a lot and you guys are not. Um, Reverend Chandler, I, I, sorry, sorry for the interruption, uh, Dr. Last. Yeah. Reverend Chandler, before we go to our last break, do, do, do you agree with this listener that the, the more orthodox uh, members of the Jewish community are less apt to be, to feel kinship with, with, uh, with black causes of social justice? Reverend Chandler, are you there? Okay, we'll shelve that. We may need to get him back on the line. We'll go to our last break. We'll be right back. One thing, Jeff? Yeah, Yeah, I just wanted to say it was very interesting. Um, uh, When you talk about leadership, so when before Project Cure started, which I met with Richard and Paul, and we I was maybe two weeks after uh, after the riots, so the community was very hot. There was a lot of tension. It looked like a war zone. There were police and helicopters flying overhead, you know, cops in riot gear on all four corners of an intersection, police in taped-up vans going back and forth, police snipers on rooftops. It lo- The community looked like a war zone. And... Uh, the uh, Mayor Dinkins, who, who was African-American, who is African-American, and was mayor back then, so he came to visit Crown Heights and to meet with the Rebbe. Uh, now, I've actually been privy to see this, uh, the footage of this, and he said to the Rebbe uh, something to this effect. It's not, it's not verbatim, but this is the gist of the idea. He said to the Rebbe, I'm the leader of my community. You're the leader of your community. Let's work together to bring peace to both communities. And you actually saw people, like, nodding their head. The, the Rebbe's office was packed to the gills. You know, the Rebbe's sort of closest Hasidim um, and the mayor's entourage and people from the media. And the, the Rebbe, without batting an eye, he, says, he said to the mayor, and, and this became sort of a, our motto, he said, 
to the mayor, uh, he said, Mr. Mayor, we're not two communities. We're one community under one administration, under one God. So you talk about somebody who, who this is, uh, you know, as religious as you can get, um, you know, a Hasidic uh, master and leader, um, but a, a true visionary. He, you know, saw it from a, a deeper perspective uh, and not a political perspective. Um, and I think what Paul was referring to before, seeing that everyone is indeed created in the, you know, in the image of, you know, godliness. We have... You know, we're all important in the scheme of life. And so that was, that was the Rebbe's reality. And I, and I feel like when, when I heard that, I thought, oh, my God, the Rebbe is, like, so much cooler than me, <laughs> like, so much hipper than, than most people on the planet, because all the people in the Rebbe's office, you're talking yeah. Jewish, Gentile, black, white, you know, everybody nodded their heads after the mayor's statement because, you know, I thought that was true. But the, the Rebbe's vision was much broader than that. And so, and, and, and not, again, not something that's just saying words, but I think that's, that's a reality that we need to push. We, we need to get out there. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to do the show tonight is for people that don't know that past with Rebbe Menachem Schneerson, which is the who was the the late and blessed leader of the of the Chabad Lubavitcher movement that you're talking about, um, you know, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, many other prominent United States, and their 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 role in supporting um, the civil rights movement of the 1960s, 70s, beyond. So it's important for us to understand that history. I'm going to make a judgment call, just given where we are in the hour, not to go to our last ad break, which Dr. Laz and Reverend Chandler, that means we're not going to get to hear another one of your wonderful songs that we've been using from Dr. Laz and the Cure on these ad breaks. Um, and I'm sure one of our sponsors will be upset by it. But I, I do want to get to a couple more listener questions, because as often happens late in the game, things get really engaging. So uh, there's a, a, a quote here, and Reverend Chandler, I think we have you back on the line. And thank you. this is, yeah, so this is a listener that um, that I'm going to leave uh, uh, unnamed. Um, but he says, uh, uh, if I ever go to a Seder, this is a, a, a black listener, says, if I ever go to a Seder and the Jews say that they know what it's like because, quote-unquote, they too were once slaves in Egypt, I'm going to punch them. And I think and there's, there's more there to that comment. But I, I think the, the gist of it is um, that one slavery and exodus narrative is thousands of years old, although we do feel it very much, and the Holocaust is just a couple generations in the past. Um, but the slavery narrative in the United States is, is much more recent. That, that direct slavery, slavery narrative is not a narrative, that slavery reality. And I think, and Reverend Chandler, I don't want to put any words in anybody's mouth. It seems to be, from this comment and others, that there's some frustration that the ADL and the AJC and other organizations don't seem to be as behind um, things like taking down... Um, Confederate, uh, you know, general statues, or rewriting and rethinking the narrative of the teaching of slavery in public schools. These times of things, it seems like there isn't as much support um, that 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 should be there. Do you agree with that frustration? Are you asking me? Do I agree with the frustration that people don't want to get involved in identifying these situations that have existed for years? 
Is that what you're particularly, saying? Yeah, particularly from, from the Jewish community, from the Anti-Defamation League, American Jewish Congress, and other organizations that at least don't, haven't been perceived to be as strongly supportive of yeah, some I, of those causes. Yeah, no, and I, I, I kind of understand it based on also the, uh, the, the, um, the environment that we're in now. I mean, we just came out of a crisis politically in this country, and uh, and I'm not going to name any names, but we, we just came out of a crisis. And there was a saying some years ago, today it's going to be this group, the next day it's going to, and the next day they're coming after you. So that game is still going on. And people are falling for it. Um, the attack today may be on, you know, the black community, but trust me, it's going to get bigger than that if we allow it to keep going. So that's why there's a lot in the fact what the Rebbe said to us is that we have more, uh, how do you say that last, um, um, last? I think oh. I think that, that Dr. Laz actually quoted that in uh, while you were off the line the, the Rebbe's comments. Okay. I'm gonna I need to, okay. to cut us a little bit short here, gentlemen, because we're about to uh, to come up on the hour. To your last to, to in response to this last listener's comment, I got a a real time comment from another listener uh, who says these connections between the oppressions and the feelings of slavery are very real, despite the change the differences in time, and reminds us that the book. Uncle Tom's Cabin was translated to Yiddish and Hebrew before any other languages outside of English. I don't know if that's true. I did see in our pregame that it was translated to Yiddish and Hebrew. I don't know if it was, those were the first or not. So before we break, gentlemen, and we'll have to do a series to do more on this, can you each give 30 to 60 seconds, please no more, on what you would tell listeners to this show from your respective communities. I know we're all one community, but from the Jewish world, from the black community, just uh, some words of, it, of, of wisdom on the, the, the kinship here, the bond that exists. Dr. Laz, you first, and Reverend Chandler, you'll finish us off. Okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, put me on the spot here. Huh? <laughs> words of wisdom. Okay. Well, I, I'll, you know, I could just speak from the heart and, you know, say that I feel like that uh, people think that we have to do these major, huge undertakings, you know, to change the world, right? Uh, and I think really it's got to be much more personal than that. Um, Amen. The, I need to cut you off there because we're going to run out of time. Reverend Chandler, you finish us off here in the last few seconds. I would just say this here. Working together is the way to be. That's how we survive through history. History. So the what, last? Do the missions because it's lots of fun. <laughs> and, <laughs> and peace will reign. And the world would be one. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for being on Equal Footing. We will catch you next time. And the world would be one.